Well, this is the last message in our series on the purposes of the church and purposes for our life. Uh, we began with, with God's plan for our personal life, and that is that you know Him and worship Him. God made you to, to live in fellowship with Him and to, to worship Him. And if you don't know Him as Lord and Savior, you can't have that relationship. And the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if today, whether you're here in the congregation or you're watching on, on video, if you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, it's, it's simple. It's admitting that you need a Lord. Admitting you need a Savior. Admitting you're a sinner. And repenting of your sin and, and confessing your need for Jesus. Surrendering your life to Christ. And I pray that you'll do that today if you've never done that. God's second purpose for your life is to fellowship with other believers. That means to learn to love each other as much as Christ loves us. That's a lot of love. Jesus said, this is my command. Love one another as I have loved you. Biblical love is continual. It's sacrificial. And it's unconditional. And the only way we can love that way is as we surrender to the Lord Jesus Christ and He loves through us. And we love that way through the church. Well, the next purpose we saw was discipleship. Discipleship is growing to become like Jesus. The Lord uses His Word. He uses people. He uses our circumstances to make us like Him. We can't just decide we're going to be like Jesus one day. I mean, it's... It requires surrendering our lives to Jesus so He can do it and allow Him to make those changes in us. Last week we saw that God has given each of us a ministry in which we serve the members of the body of Christ. We saw that we need to be faithful, which means that we don't quit along the way. We must be available whenever the Lord calls us, even if it means being interrupted in what we're doing. And then it means to be thankful because we serve others as we have thankful hearts. Today, we're going to look at the last in the series, which is uh, God's mission for us, taking the Gospel to the world. Galatians 5.13 says, For you are called to be free, brothers and sisters. Only don't use this freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but serve one another through love. For the whole law is fulfilled in one statement. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then in 1 Chronicles 16, verse 9, the Scripture says, Sing to Him. Sing praise to Him. Tell about all His wondrous works. Our mission is to tell the world about the wondrous works of Jesus. And that verse in 1 Chronicles reminded me of a verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses, uh, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the praises. The, the New American Standard has the word excellencies. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who's called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. In other words, it says, go tell other people what Jesus did in you. Nancy Lee DeMoss Wogelmuth wrote a book called Brokenness. And in that book, she gives a definition of, of well, she, she says, this is one thing the Lord, uh, let me say it again, read her quote again. The one thing that keeps us from being used by the Lord 
is our pride. Now, Mrs. Wogelmuth was one of the speakers at President Reagan's funeral. And she wrote this in her book, Brokenness. She wrote, she told about how humble President Reagan was. Remember when he, when the young man shot Reagan trying to kill him? Well, when he was in the hospital, one day one of his aides came in and he wasn't in bed. And he looked around and he saw Reagan was down on his hands and knees on the floor wiping up water. The aide said, President Reagan, we have people to do that. He said, I just didn't want the nurses to get in trouble for something that I did. That's humility. Now, if the aide hadn't walked in and seen that, no one would have known. But that's character. Humility is an unnatural trait. Uh, we're prideful and self-centered by nature. Uh, two of the words that babies learn first, no, and mine, yeah. I saw it on somebody's lips. No and mine. Why is that? Because we're sinful by nature. You know why babies cry? Because they want something. Yeah. Uh, at the last meal with Jesus' disciples, His disciples were arguing about who was going to be the greatest. Their attitude was, what's in it for me? You see, we don't go very far beyond babies. Because pride is what's natural. Humility is not. Is not. And sometimes we struggle with it. And sometimes we struggle to be used of the Lord because we're not humble. And sometimes we're not willing to get down on our hands and knees to be used of the Lord. To be humble, it requires love. Paul wrote uh, in 1 Corinthians 13, which is called uh, the love chapter by many people about love. He writes, love is patient. Love is kind. Love, love does not envy. It's not boastful. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It's not self-seeking. It's not irritable. It does not keep a record of wrongs. Love finds no joy in unrighteousness, but rejoices in the truth. Love bears all things believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never fails. That kind of love requires genuine humility. That kind of love requires character. Character is what we are when nobody's looking. Character is revealed when, when we let down our defenses or when we're really tired. It's easy to put on a good face here at church. It's a lot harder when we're home with our family, away from everybody else. And so in discipleship, we looked at it a few weeks ago, we learned that we develop humility and character as we allow the church to work in our lives, and by church I mean each other, to help us learn to love. And it requires that love to reach out to a lost world. So this morning we're going to look at the mission that Christ has for us. The mission that Christ has for each one of us as well as for his church. John 20, 21, Jesus says, Peace I leave to you. As the Father has sent me, I send you.
So what are we sent to do? Well, Paul wrote uh, to the elders, or, or Paul was was quoting to the, the uh, speaking to the elders of the church at Ephesus, and Luke wrote down what Paul said. Paul said, "My purpose is to finish my course and the ministry I received from the Lord Jesus Christ." So Paul said, "Here's what my, God's plan for me is: to go and complete the ministry God gave." And then he said, "What his ministry was to testify to the gospel." of God's grace. The mission of every believer is to share the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul wrote that plan out in 2 Timothy 2.2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, commit to faithful men who will tell others also. Do you get that? What you've heard, tell other people. Once you've received the message, Tell others about it. Our mission is to share the good news, and we call that evangelism. We don't like that word. We've been told that evangelism is going out to some stranger's house and knock on the door and tell them about Jesus. And we're scared to death to do it. I'm scared to death to do it sometimes. Our mission to the world may include that, but that's not what evangelism means. Evangelism comes from a Greek word that means good news. Good news. Isaiah 52, 7 says, How beautiful on the mountain are the feet of the herald who proclaims peace, who brings news of good tidings, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns. That's all good news. And then Jesus says where we're to go and share the good news in Acts 1.8. Jesus told His disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be My witnesses. Another word we don't like. You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. So Jesus said to the disciples, here's My plan to reach the whole world with the Gospel. I want you to start with those people closest to you. The people in your family. The people that live on your street that you see. The people you work with or go to school with. Those in your own city or community. What the Bible calls your oikos. That's your Jerusalem. Jesus says, tell them about me. And then He says... Take the gospel to Judea and Samaria. Judea would be, be like our, our, our bigger city or our county. And Samaria would be like those people that are close to us but are different from us. They may be different culturally or different racially, but they're, they're near but different. And then he says, I want you to go to the ends of the earth. I want you to reach everybody else. Now here's what Jesus doesn't say in that mission. Listen to this. He doesn't say you have to defend God. You don't have to argue with anybody. You don't have to be a salesman for God trying to sell something. And you don't have to know everything in the Bible. You don't even have to know the whole plan of salvation. In fact, the Bible, Jesus doesn't say, I want you to learn this long plan of salvation so you can tell others about me. 
He wants you to just to be His witness. Now, what's a witness? A witness is somebody who shares what they've seen or what they've experienced. I don't remember what year it was. I, uh, 2011, I went and looked it back up in my calendar. In 2011, Brandon and I traveled to Philadelphia and, and Sandy went at one time and I went at one time. Anyway, we went back for the trial for the young man that had ran into Brandon had, had, and, and injured him. One of the witnesses was the officer that called us that February or January morning. Her name is Officer Jones. I'd never seen Officer Jones before. But Officer Jones told what she saw. She wasn't there when the accident happened, so she couldn't ask, testify about that. Somebody else did. All she could say was what happened that she saw. And so that's what a witness is. A witness shares their experience, what they know, what they've seen, what's going on. And that's what God's mission is for you to do. You may not know everything. In fact, um, one man, here was his, his, his witness for Christ. He was blind, and Jesus had healed him, and the religious leaders came to him and said, who did that? He said, I don't know. Just this man told me to put mud on my face and go down to the pool of Siloam and wash, and I did, and I see. Well, later Jesus came to him and revealed himself. Here was his testimony, though. I once was blind, but now I see. What's your experience with Jesus? How did he change you? You may not know all the Bible verses about it. You may not be able to, to, to theologically define salvation, but you can tell somebody, this is what Jesus did in me. And He can change your life too. So how do I complete the mission that God gave me to do? Well, first He said we share with those in our world. Jesus had healed another man and the man wanted to go with Jesus. I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, stay right here in your town and tell them what great things God has done for you. And so He did. He stayed right there. Your mission begins in your home with those people that you live around and share, live with. So why don't we? Why don't we tell others what, what's, what's happened, the greatest thing that's ever happened in our life? Why don't we? Uh, one reason is we're afraid we don't know what to say. What if I mess up? Well, I will say this, if you don't say anything, you definitely won't mess up. And they definitely won't hear anything and they won't be challenged. You don't have to, you don't have to worry if you don't have all the answers. Just share what you know. Another reason people don't share the gospel is they're afraid that people aren't interested. Well, that's not necessarily true. How many of y'all have heard of George Gallup? Gallup is a pollster. He does polls all the time, and we hear about the Gallup poll for this and the Gallup poll for that. Well, he did a poll and discovered that 
million Americans do not have a church home. Now, if he were to continue asking, he'd find out there were probably many, many more that have a church home that don't go. But this, just for this, this, this fact, 65 million Americans have no church home. But he also discovered something else. Over half of them said they would go to church with someone if they would invite them. That's over 30 million people that are open to, to an invitation to go to church. And some of them are people you know. Now here's another Gallup poll that was interesting. Pastor Mike probably knows this is true. Uh, teenagers, this is interesting, teenagers would rather talk about God than about sex, drug, drugs, or music. Now they may not know much about the Bible, but kids are interested in spiritual things. And so that's a, a point of contact. Uh, on, these, on these surveys, they found that the number of nuns, no church affiliate, I don't have nuns, no religious uh, beliefs at all, has increased. But still people are open to discussion of spiritual things. Their idea of spiritual things may be a long way from the Bible. But at least we have an opportunity to begin discussing spiritual things and sharing our experience and then let the Holy Spirit work in their life. Because we don't have to convince them. We don't have to be a salesman. We don't have to defend God. God will just open the door for us to share the gospel. If we're willing, we just have to be available. Why does, why does He keep doing that? Well, 2 Timothy, excuse me, 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord does not delay His promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. In fact, what the Lord is saying is, is while there are people still here, He wants people to go out and share the gospel so that they might have opportunity to come to Jesus. Do you know how much Jesus loves your neighbor? your coworker, or your classmate, enough to send His Son Jesus to die. In Romans, Paul wrote that God demonstrates His love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died. And if someone were to ask you, how much does Jesus love them? You could say, this much. Reaching the world for Christ is our mission. And it begins right in our own home, in our own neighborhood, right where we are. And then he says, I want you to reach beyond your world to people that are around you but aren't like you. That's what Jesus did. You remember the accusation they made against Jesus? They were condemning Jesus, but Jesus loved it. He hangs out with tax collectors and sinners. Well, Jesus definitely wasn't a sinner because He was perfect. But He hung out with folks that weren't like Him. And God expects us to do the same. One of the ministries that God has given me that I love is being able to hang out with 18 to 24-year-olds on a soccer field. Now, Jock, I'm not. We, what we have in common is we all love soccer. But they're from different countries, different backgrounds. Probably 90% of the kids that, that uh, I've had through the years 
don't go to church anywhere. Many of them have never been to church. And yet, that's where God's planted me. And God, there, there are people around us that are different that we need to, to reach out to. Did you know that there are 13 different ethnic groups, at least in the city of Tulsa? There may be more than that. Brian probably could tell you about some of those he runs into, right? Different groups, different people, different from us. And they need Jesus. One of these days, God's going to ask us, did you reach out to Him in love? Or was all this love just, just talk? Jesus talks about judgment in, in Matthew 25. He said, I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you took care of me. I was in prison and you visited me. And as you read the rest of, of Matthew, they say, well, Lord, when were you hungry and thirsty and, and naked and alone? And Jesus said, when you did it to the others, to the least of these, you did it to me. And that's what Christianity is about. It's about healing broken people. It's, it's about helping people with messed up lives because Christianity can, can change their lives and help them out. But Jesus says it's not just enough to share with those around me or, or to reach out to those that are close that are different from me. He says, I want you to, to love and reach out to the whole world. Now, can you imagine when Jesus is there with His disciples and He's getting ready to ascend into heaven and He says, this is my plan. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. How could they travel in that day? Number one, travel was by foot. Number two, travel was probably ox cart or, or camel or, or donkey, maybe a horse. Ox cart, maybe. I maybe think I said that. How do you get to America from the Middle East back in 33 AD? They didn't have ships that were capable of that. Oh, the world has changed. We can go anywhere. We can go here to Tulsa International Airport and kept, kept, excuse me, catch a plane and go to any part of the, of the planet that planes go to. You see, we, can, we have the opportunity to reach out to the world. But more than that, I would dare say that 95% of you have some kind of internet. There's something called evangelism where you do it on the internet. We can be faithful to take the gospel message around the world. Now, I, I got to thinking, how is it that we can do that? What, what can we do at Lynn Lane Baptist Church to touch the whole world? And I, this list isn't exhaustive. It's, it's just some things that, that I got to thinking about. But here's ways that we can do evangelism and touch the world. Go on a mission trip. You may do a mission trip here in Tulsa or here in our county, in our state, somewhere in our, in our nation or 
overseas. We can do that. We've taken groups here. If you're interested in, in a couple of weeks, there's a group that's going from our association to Matamoros, Mexico. I can hook you up with that. If you're interested in looking for situations, I can help you find those. How's a practical way we can touch the world? Let's write it over here. Shoe boxes. And I don't mean your responsibility ends when you go and you, to, to Walmart or Dollar General or Mardell or wherever you go to fill your shoebox and, and you buy all the stuff and, and you put your credit card machine and take it out. And, and No, if we're really going to reach the world, we're going to pray. We're going to pray for whoever touches that box all along the way. I'm going to pray for the recipient and for the workers that are, are, are distributing it and doing the follow-up and reaching out to the families because we can touch the world through an investment of a shoebox. I don't know what you spent for your shoebox, but it, it's a small investment to reach out to the world. You can give to the Lottie Moon Christmas offering or the Annie Armstrong Easter offering Mission offerings that take the gospel message through our Southern Baptist missionaries. But again, do more than just put the check in the plate. Pray for our missionaries. Pray for the work of our missionaries. If you're interested, I can give you the website that you can write in and say, I want daily prayer requests from the IMB about missions across our land. And I'm sure that the North American Mission Board has the same thing. And you can have in your hand, besides prayer requests that I send out from the church, across our land to pray for the world. Give weekly to our church. Because as, as, as we receive an offering, part of it stays here for ministries here, but part of it goes to the IMB, to the North American Mission Board, to uh, Oklahoma Baptist State Convention, to our association, and we reach out around the world. Taking the gospel to the world because it's our responsibility. Our responsibility is not the missionaries. Excuse me, it's not the missionaries. It's our responsibility. Maybe you want some more practical. Volunteer at a food bank. We sent youth groups up to the food bank and, and we helped them repack it, move, move box, excuse me, cans from huge containers to boxes that people could use. Volunteer to soup kitchen. Here's the thing. People are dying every day without hearing the gospel message. This year, 2.4 million Americans will die, the majority having never heard the gospel message in America. Over the next 52 weeks, 54 million people in the world will die having never heard about Jesus. And yet Jesus told us our mission is to take the message. Will we do it? I want to close with, a, with an article from Michael Katz's blog. It's, it's lengthy, so I want you to pay attention, press in, because he's got some good stuff. Uh, in it, he told of the tragedy of what happens if a church and its members do not have a vision to reach the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he wrote. 
My home church closed its doors recently. After decades of limping along, they finally pronounced the last rites and admitted they could no longer maintain the facilities. Though once a significant witness in my small hometown and, cur- and centrally located on the main drag, the church was unable to sustain itself. Where once rooms were filled with preschoolers, children, and young people, hallways had become silent. Rooms were locked off and 25 elderly saints huddled up and held on as long as they could. It didn't have to happen and it never should have happened this way. I grew up in the church's heyday. I know what it was like then and I know what it could have been. Ultimately, some people or group along the way decided that the Great Commission didn't apply to them and they quit reaching the community. My home church is like located one mile from the only high school in town. Apparently, that was too far to go or too much to ask to sponsor ministries that would once again impact their campus. The church died because it quit being the church. It quit fulfilling the Great Commission. It didn't read Acts 2 or Acts 4 and pray for boldness. If you aren't salt and light, you aren't irritating the culture and they will leave you alone. The old steeple on the church had a rotating light on the top like a lighthouse. You could see it from miles away. One day, the light went out physically, but I would dare would say that the light went out a long time before. Where a thousand-seat auditorium was once, once packed for truth concerts and hundreds filled the floor for revivals, you could have fit the whole church on the front two pews. How sad and tragic. Where once hundreds of youth gathered for prayer meetings during the height of the Jesus movement, now there are no children or youth to be found. My home church is living proof by their death that when you forget why God put you somewhere, you begin to die. What happened? I've got some hunches, although I haven't been there in years. They tried to live off the good old days for too long. They weren't stretched and challenged, possibly because they refused to call a pastor who would stretch and challenge them. They were stuck in a time warp and forgot we were living in the 21st century. The same is true for churches all across our nation. Once vibrant churches are now closed up, on life support, or close to having to call it spiritual hospice care. They've quit. They've given up. They complain, but they don't get on their faces to find out why the glory is gone. I know of a church that averaged over 700 in Bible study in the 1970s. And they now have 14. Another had 1,000 in the 70s, now has about 20. And none of those are under the age of 70. The illustrations and examples are, to be honest, nauseating. This is not what Jesus died for. We're spending tons of money trying to idolize churches, churches that quit, lost their first love, caved to committees and power groups, and a thousand other predictable diagnoses. Carnality can kill more churches than we can plant to take that place, to take their place. All of this is a sign that we need revival. We need a renewal of passion and purpose. Every church is a generation away from being a non-factor in their community. If the leadership doesn't keep their hands on the wheel and their foot on the gas, 
the church will eventually decline and die. There, if there isn't a constant reminder that the church is not about us, but about Him, the church will become self-absorbed, navel-gazing religious relic. Some will argue that some churches have a lifespan and have to die. That's because we've watched so many churches die through the ages that we've accepted it as normal. It's not the norm. It shouldn't be. We have the same Holy Spirit they had in Acts 2. Yet, through the ages, we've let the enemy make the church a joke instead of it being a force to be reckoned with. Denominations turn toward liberalism. Churches lose their first love. Pastors preach to please people instead of being God-called prophets. Committees and boards take the place of prayer meetings. Before you know it, the church is just a group of like-minded people who want nothing to change. Like a baby who cries when the mother changes their formula, the whining replaces the witness. The sun goes down on the day of opportunity. The prophets were disgusted with form without force and ritual without reality. The Lord Jesus wanted to throw up when He looked upon the lukewarm Laodiceans. Have we gotten on our face lately and asked Jesus what He thinks about what we're doing to His church? And then He closes with a, a quote from Vance Havner, his hero of the faith. A mortician can make a dead man look better than he ever did when he was alive. So churches like Sardis in Revelation 3 may appear very much alive when they are dead in the sight of the Lord. There are experts who are very clever at this business of making church corpses appear very healthy so that they can have an image for robust vitality in their own sight among other churches and up at headquarters. But God knows the difference. We must be about being the church and fulfilling God's plan for the church, for our lives and for our body of believers. And what Michael described of his home church, I never want to see happen at Lynn Lane Baptist Church. But it will happen unless we fulfill God's purposes for our church and for our life. Are we loving the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? Are we learning to truly love each other as Christ loved us? Are we surrendering to Christ week by week so that we can become more and more like Jesus? Or are we becoming more and more like the world? Are we ministering to one another by serving each other here in the church? And are we fulfilling our mission by taking the gospel message to those outside the church, those nearest, those far from us, and those that aren't like us? Are we doing that? During our time of invitation, I want us to stop and say, okay, am I being faithful to Christ? Am I doing what Christ wants me to do? And listen as the Spirit speaks because God does not want to keep His will silent. He wants to speak in your heart and He wants you to respond to Him. And so during our time of invitation, I'm going to have just, just known a play so that you can concentrate on what the Spirit of God's saying.
And as He speaks to you, say, Lord, whatever you want, that's what I'm willing to do. Because we don't want to be a statistic. We don't want to be one of those churches that doesn't fulfill what God wants. We need to be about His mission.